0: Hey everyone, this is Gus. Uh I want to let you know Chris and I were guests on another podcast called Insidious Inspirations. Be sure to check out the bonus episode where we talk about uh, movie realism with Nicole. But we thought you'd get a kick out of this podcast. Chris and I both uh, took part in. Check it out. Uh, we think you'll like it. And also, like I said, listen to our supplemental episode with Nicole where we talk about movie uh, realism and aviation.
1: Listeners, if you're anything like me, you grew up watching The Twilight Zone, Rob Serling's gripping anthology series. Each story featured out-of-this-world premises, with strange twists and resonating morals. There is perhaps no episode more popular than Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. Often heralded as the most well-known episode, it follows a strangely simple premise. A man, terrified of flying, boards an airplane to return home. He'll become the sole witness of a paranormal phenomenon that threatens every life on board. I'm Nicole Goodnight, and our fearful flyer has just entered into Insidious Inspirations. To properly tell the tale of flying fears and the history of gremlins, we've brought on two knowledgeable guests. I'm joined by Gus Sarola and Chris Damaris from Rooster Teeth's aviation disaster podcast, Black Box Down.
2: Hey
0: there.
1: Hello. Each week on their show, Gus and Chris dive into the terrifyingly true tales of airplane malfunctions, crashes, and the solutions to ensure these disasters never occur again. This week, we'll be looking at the storied history of gremlins. Not the small furry companions from Joe Dante's 1984 movie Gremlins, or the strange man on the wing of Rob Serling's plane in the Twilight Zone, or the... Actually, one of the biggest problems we ran into while researching Gremlins is that this contemporary piece of folklore doesn't have any rigidity yet. Accounts of Gremlins vary. While some describe the creatures as tiny, pixie-like people or air spirits... Other accounts tell of three-foot-tall lizard-like aliens. There are two reasons for the inconsistencies between stories. The first is, gremlins are relatively recent folklore, and the second is, they're intrinsically tied to air travel. With the standardization of air travel, a lot of mysticism around flying has faded away, and so too has the folklore of gremlins. One of the first accounts of gremlins can be found in Pauline Gower's 1938 novel, The A.T.A., Woman with Wings. The author describes Scotland as a gremlin country, where scissor-wielding fae cut the wires of unattended biplanes. But it wasn't until the Second World War that gremlins would enter into international attention. Gremlins were whispered about by members of the UK's Royal Air Force. Crewmen were quick to blame gremlins for a variety of things like missing fuel, which they supposedly drank, or underlying mechanical problems. At first glance, it might seem as though gremlins are a convenient way for pilots to save face when they made mistakes, but the superstition amongst the RAF was much deeper. During World War II, gremlins were portrayed as equal opportunity tricksters, not taking any specific side in the war, instead causing mayhem wherever they could. In the summer of 1940, the Royal Air Force even commissioned a series of posters warning of gremlins. The posters depicted small gray men, no bigger than a GI Joe action figure, pouring oil cans on the ground to trip crewmen or throwing screws and metal scraps into the eyes of warehouse workers. One poster even preached the importance of building your plane with round corners so gremlins couldn't latch on during takeoff. But as the war waged on, the narrative around gremlins changed. They weren't just an inconvenience and a reason to double check before takeoff, no. They became a force for good. Now. Gremlin's actions were dependent on a pilot's attitude. If a pilot was too cocky, little things might go awry. If a pilot was fastidious and double-checked their work, gremlins didn't just stop messing with the plane, they'd actually keep it airborne and ensure a safe landing. Which, again, sounds like war propaganda not to rush your work, but over the course of the war, there were some miracles and some disasters that seemed far from ordinary.
0: In this episode, we'll be focusing on the Boeing B-17, which was dubbed the Flying Fortress. This 4 engine low-wing monoplane first debuted July 28, 1935. Rolling out of the hangar, it was simply known as Model 299, but upon seeing the impressive new plane, a Seattle Times reporter dubbed it the Flying Fortress, which was an apt name that was quickly trademarked and adopted. The B-17 was built by Boeing at the Army's request for a large multi-engine bomber. It featured various armaments and boasted a flight deck as opposed to an open cockpit. The B-17 would first see combat in 1941, uh, where the British Royal Air Force piloted several planes for high-altitude missions.
1: It's no coincidence that after flying over England, the B-17s became the home to many gremlins of their own. Quickly, the folklore surrounding gremlins spread to American planes and their pilots. After the break, we're going to look at three stories of aviation disasters in 1943, 1944, and 2019. Nicole here with a brief ad break. And a reminder, you can get access to ad-free and bonus episodes of our show by heading to patreon.com slash insidiouspod. And now, back to our show.
2: Our first story takes us to February 1st, 1943. An enemy fighter was attacking a bomb group formation when it went out of control and crashed into the rear of the fuselage of a B-17 named All-American. As the planes collided, the fighter broke apart, leaving large chunks within the All-American and completely tearing away the left horizontal stabilizer and elevators. Then, the two right engines of the All-American malfunctioned. If this wasn't harrowing enough, one of the left engines sprung a serious oil pump leak. The pilot of the All-American, vying for control of his vessel, quickly found that the vertical fin and rudder had also been damaged. Radios, electrical, and oxygen systems also damaged. The fighter plane had left a hole in the top of the All-American that was over 16 feet long and 4 feet wide. And now, the pilot had yet another problem the tail of his plane was held on by two small pieces of the frame and began to bounce and sway in the wind it even began to twist as the plane turned one of the gunners located in the tail of the plane was trapped because the floor connecting the tail to the rest of the plane was entirely torn away despite all this the plane still flew the crew immediately began rushing around trying to repair the plane as best they could in enemy territory, full of bombs, and far from any safe harbor, the crew's only option was to keep the plane operational long enough for the pilot to finish his mission and return home. The tail and waist gunner used parts of the fighter plane and their own parachute harnesses in an attempt to mend the tail and keep it from ripping off. But as soon as they succeeded in solving one problem, another arose. The pilot had opened the bomb bay doors and the wind turbulence blew one of the waist gunners into the broker tail section. Now, with two men trapped in the tail, and the fear that it might break off at any moment, the crew used additional parachute harnesses and cloth to make a rope and haul the waist gunner back to the body of the plane. Once he'd successfully made it back, the crew tried to rescue the tail gunner too, when all of their hard work came undone. The debris and rope holding the tail together came loose, causing the tail to begin flapping and threatening to break off. Fortunately, the weight of the tail gunner was holding some of the plane intact, So he stayed put. At this point, it's a miracle that the plane isn't falling through the air. The pilot presses his luck and begins a slow turn back towards England. The plane continued to fly another 70 miles, but their journey still wasn't over. Nearing the border of friendly territory, the All-American started to lose altitude and speed. As the plane began its descent, two more enemy fighters flew in behind it and began attacking the B-17. Having already weathered the worst, the crew began firing back. The gunners returned to their turrets, and one crewman even fired his pistol through the gaping hole of the B-17. But they had to spread out their shots. If the tail gunner fired too much, he'd actually start turning the plane. Soon enough, the crew was able to drive off the fighters, and the B-17 glided into friendly territory. Now, the pilot desperately needed to radio base and prepare for a crash landing. but. Their radio equipment had been damaged in altercations. A friendly fighter was sent to fly alongside the All-American, interpret hand signals from the crew, and relay them back to base. The crew signaled that all five parachutes had been used, and the crew would be unable to bail out safely. Deciding that it would be unsafe for the crew to even attempt to bail, the pilot decided to stay with the plane and try to land. Now, Two and a half hours after being severely damaged, the B-17 lined up with the runway, which was still another 40 miles away. The pilot began lowering the plane into an emergency landing. As the B-17 finally approached the runway, an ambulance drove up prepared to treat the crew. But it was quickly signaled away. Believe it or not, not a single member aboard the All-American had been injured. The plane landed, and the crew disembarked.
1: The next story is equally fantastic and one of the most popular accounts of gremlins in World War II. It's also a story to take with a grain of salt. The following is one of the few first-hand accounts published in recent memory. In 2014, a 92-year-old man was interviewed by Cryptozoology News. The old man gives his initials, LW, and claims that he was a Boeing B-17 pilot. LW had enlisted near the beginning of the war, citing his father who was both a preacher and a plane lover. L.W. goes on to say he was given command of a B-17 when he was 22. According to him, that was the average age of officers. Most of his crew was made up of 18 or 19-year-old kids. It wasn't his first or last mission, but L.W. recounts a combat mission where everything went wrong. The B-17 was still on its ascent, climbing an altitude when he notices a strange sound coming from the engine. Before L.W. can identify the sound, the plane's instruments begin going haywire. As he's attending to the engine, LW spots something out of the corner of his eye. He looks to his right and sees a pair of eyes staring back at him. Taken aback, the pilot freezes in place. At first, he thinks he must be hallucinating. Perhaps the elevation got to him, or he was having an episode of spatial distortion. He rubs his eyes. He doesn't feel confused or like he's hallucinating, but when he finally tears his eyes away from the first strange creature, he spots another on the aircraft's nose. LW describes them both as small, dancing lizards, no more than three feet tall, with hairless gray skin. Notably, they had deep red eyes and large, wicked-looking mouths, full of too many teeth. The creatures appeared to be laughing as they struck the plane, pounding and scratching at the plane's hull. LW turned his attention back to his controls, checked his gauges, and managed to stabilize the B-17. After that small incident, the gremlins seemed to be gone, After completing his mission and returning to base, he confessed his experiences to a fellow crewmate, one who claimed to have also witnessed a similar creature. While the account is gripping, there's not enough information to properly verify it, or even guess at which B-17 LW might have been flying. But, this story seems to capture the essence of gremlins quite well. Cocky, or distracted pilots, realizing their plane is malfunctioning, being forced into action to stabilize his plane, or crash.
0: Our last story brings us much closer to the present day. In 2019, a disaster struck one of the few remaining B-17s, a plane known as 909, was operated by the nonprofit Collings Foundation, which offered a living history flight. On one early October morning, 909 would make its last flight before crashing and erupting into flames. Uh, before we dive into the details of the disaster, uh, first let's learn how a nonprofit came into the possession of one of World War II's most iconic planes. By 1950, most Boeing B-17s had been taken out of operation, and most surviving flying fortresses were transferred to the Coast Guard before being withdrawn from service in 1959. After that, B-17s were acquired by preservation groups or broken down. To this day, there are 46 surviving B-17s, 39 of which reside in the United States and 9 of which are still airworthy. Uh, 909 was a B-17 built by the Douglas Aircraft Company, which was one of three manufacturers known for producing B-17s in the 1930s and 1940s. 909 launched and served as an air-sea rescue aircraft until 1952, when it was reassigned to the Air Force Special Weapons Command. In this new role, 909 was used for weapons testing and was exposed to three nuclear explosions as part of Operation Tumbler Snapper. Tumblr Snapper consisted of eight tests sponsored by the Atomic Energy Commission and Department of Defense to measure and explain discrepancies between the actual and estimated shockwaves of nuclear explosives. It's likely that 909 was responsible for the three airdrop tests conducted by the Atomic Energy Commission. Uh, after Operation Tumbler Snapper concluded, 909 sat unused and untouched until 1956 when it was purchased as scrap for a measly $269. Uh, In today's money, that's the equivalent of about $2,200. Despite being subjected to three nuclear tests, the plane was still in relatively good condition. Over the next decade, the new owners would slowly return the B-17 to airworthy conditions. In 1977, the plane entered civilian service and flew regularly. In 1985, the operator's business was liquidated and the plane changed hands again. This time finding itself in the care of the Collings Foundation, an educational nonprofit dedicated to the preservation and public display of transportation history. Under new ownership, the B 17 was restored to its 1945 configuration, given a new coat of paint, making it resemble 909, a notorious B 17 that completed over 140 combat missions without any crew loss. At this point, I feel it's important to mention that the original 909 that flew uh, bombing raids and saw service in World War II actually uh, was decommissioned and scrapped in 1945. The Collings 909 that we're talking about right now was a plane that was manufactured on April 7th, 1945, a little too late for service in World War II. Uh, After being acquired by Collings, it was repainted uh, and redubbed the 909 as an homage to the original 909, which actually did fly in World War II. The new 909 would fly for the next 33 years, suffering only two minor accidents, first in August 1987, when the B-17 overran the runway while landing, and again in July 1995, when the plane suffered damage while landing. All in all, 909 was a sturdy, well-maintained plane. Uh, And all of that, of course, brings us to October 2019. On the day of the accident, the plane's journey was delayed 40 minutes due to difficulty starting one of the four engines. After spotting the malfunction, the pilot reportedly turned off the other three engines and using a spray can of nitrogen attempted to blow out the moisture in the malfunctioning engine. Seemingly satisfied with this solution, the plane was cleared for takeoff. The aircraft took off at 9.48 AM local time, carrying three crew members and 10 passengers. Shortly after takeoff, a witness reported smoking and sputtering from one of the engines. At 9.50, just two minutes after takeoff, the pilot radioed that engine number four was having issues. The Bradley International Airport control tower diverted traffic allowing for the B-17 to make an emergency landing. The aircraft came in low, touching down 1,000 feet short of the runway and clipping an ILS antenna array. This caused the B-17 to veer to the right and travel into a grassy area between taxiways before finally crashing into a de-icing facility at 9.54. Then the aircraft burst into flames. Fortunately, one of the passengers, a Connecticut Air National Guardsman, was able to open an escape hatch despite suffering a broken arm and collarbone. A nearby airport employee who witnessed the crash was able to rush to the site and began pulling passengers from the aircraft. The employee suffered severe burns on his hands and arms and was later taken to a hospital. A nearby construction worker also saw the commotion and after climbing over a barbed wire fence helped treat the passengers, even making one of them a tourniquet. The construction worker was uninjured during the accident. The incident killed seven of the 13 people on board and injured the other six. Much of the aircraft was destroyed in the ensuing fire, with only a tail and portion of one wing surviving the blaze. In October, the National Transportation Safety Board issued a preliminary report stating that there was no water or debris found within the fuel tanks and cleared the fuel truck that had serviced B-17. During the accident, the pilot reported that engine number four has a rough magneto, which acts as the ignition system in most airplanes. In March of 2020, the Federal Aviation Administration revoked the Collins Foundation's permission to carry passengers, citing safety concerns and even claiming that key personnel were ignorant of maintenance programs and basic operation information. The primary cause of the accident was found to be the left magneto of engine number four, which had been jury-rigged with safety wire and rendered completely inoperable while the right magneto failed to spark in four of its nine cylinders. Uh, most engines have redundant magneto, so this one, in this particular incident both magneto systems were uh, insufficient. The number four prop was also feathered and the number three prop was nearly feathered, uh, which uh, rendered them pretty useless as far as generating thrust. The aircraft landed with flaps retracted and gear extended. Uh, Perhaps most damning was the FAA's final statement. They believed the B-17 could likely have overflown the approach lights and landed on the runway had the pilot kept the landing gear retracted and accelerated to 120 miles per hour until it was evident the airplane would reach the runway.
1: Boeing B-17 Flying Fortress. A marvel of engineering and an aerial icon of World War II. Over 12,700 B-17s were made leading up to May 1945 many of which wouldn't survive the war. For each small miracle, there was an equally terrible disaster. Was this all just a campaign against carelessness, or was there, perhaps, a supernatural force interfering with our aviation innovations? In our final moments, the only thing we know is this. Our flight path to the unknown passes directly through insidious inspirations.